0: A black
1: defendant in a small town is convicted by an all white jury and sentenced to death. But years of new evidence lead his family and new defense team to plead with the court that the wrong man was on death row. After witnesses come forward and fresh eyes weigh in on the case, a court finally decides his fate. What evidence led to this 11th hour reprieve? This week's episode is Rodney Reed, Part 2
2: Tommy said we should start this episode with a sound effect. I mean, every time. So I'm going to choose. You choose at random. Okay. Okay. Uh... <laughs> that was random. I just pushed one. I wasn't oh, looking you should, at your. You looked I should, away. I did. I'm going to look away. Well, that's kind of appropriate for this episode, I guess. Yeah. in a good way in a good way yeah i mean i that that sound effect is more they got the wrong guy yes that's true the sound effect for what has happened in recent days would be a a celebratory celebratory sound effect
1: not totally out of the woods yet but no but we should just start up top that there is a indefinite stay of execution for rodney reed thankfully the writ of habeas corpus the petition for writ of habeas corpus did some did some moving and shaking within the upper echelons of the texas justice system and now it will be remanded down to a lower court to reinvestigate some of the, uh, nice. the evidence that we'll go over today
2: yeah also heather sounds like that episode <laughs> of friends where phoebe oh, is sexy voice that's her sexy voice and Hi. she she can actually that's such a good episode where so she funny. can start singing well and then
1: she uh-huh. loses it Hi everyone, Smelly Cat. Smelly, Smelly cat. cat. Hi, it's Heather. Yeah, I feel like I should take requests for love songs, like Delilah. Uh, Delilah, used to do- I love
2: Delilah. Hi, you're listening to Heather on the air. Her son died by suicide, and it was the saddest thing. A and few she years shared ago. it on the air, right? Yeah, she yeah. Talked about it happened a few years back.
1: Very sad. It's Delilah nationwide, or is that? I think so. That's the nationwide. For thing, those of right? you not in the U.S. or where Delilah's indicated, she's a late night radio hostess who. Talks with a very pleasant sounding... This is Delilah. Call in with
2: your problems.
1: And people would would call in and say, Delilah, I'm driving across the country and I miss my wife. And uh, I'd like for you to play a Fleetwood Mac song for me. And she's (laughs) like, I'll play this for you right now.
2: But she wasn't phone sex operator. She was very comforting and just... Had a very soothing voice and good advice because she would be. Like, yes, you know, she liked to give advice. She was very
1: empathetic. Those that are far, you know, those that you love are far away. They're never far away if they're in your heart. Yes, here's the song. Exactly. For you. Is she still around? Does she still do it? I, I don't know. It's a and great I question. I haven't listened to radio in a minute. I listen to NPR on the drive-in. Yeah, I don't. I'm 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 Spotify Constant. all the time all day every day all Although, day every day apologies for those of you who tried to listen on spotify there was some kind of glitch we looked into it with our podcast provider and they just said it's a thing that happens with spotify they can't really do anything we are about up it. there now it was delayed. it was yeah like a 48 hour hiccup so for those of you who asked it wasn't just you you didn't do anything wrong no it was spotify it was it Spotify dragging their feet. spotty
2: oh <laughs> wait a minute hold on Oh, no. It's a for... So,
1: okay, the
0: reason that I. Burned, burned, no, what no, I, no,
2: no.
1: You just burned yourself. You just <laughs> told a joke and then you just gave like a thousand No, that was was, a bad I, I was
2: because I thought it was a stupid joke. Okay, good. Um, The thing with the sound effects box is all of the buttons just have little icons above them. Yeah. So I'm not really sure what I'm playing when I get it. For example, this is just a dude that looks like he's running. Let's see what this one is. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's a circus. <laughs> So who knows if that's what's gonna come out when you slip? I thought at that. that that would be like a like foot footfall. Yeah, that's what I like
2: thought when Speedy Gonzalez runs this away. This one, I don't even know what the what is that?
1: What
0: Does it look like? No
2: idea. Let me see. The one below the guy running. It looks like a alien. Maybe a ghost. Could be a is it a owl. frog? <laughs> Play it. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? How do you? I have no idea that that
1: would have come out. Maybe it's. Oh, it's a shocked face. It's a scream like oh. the Munch, Ed, Edvard Munch's oh, scream. Oh, yes. Okay. One That's of my favorite is. paintings of there all time. Go. Did you see on, on the internet people made it look like a dog?
2: Yes. And then I was
1: an idiot and was like, this does look like a dog.
2: I've never seen that. And then our friend Peyton was like, "Christy, they altered this. <laughs> and I was like, oh, Jesus, you're right. It's this is the original painting <laughs> it looks like at all. Oh, no. You fell for it. I did. I did. Well, we are, like Heather said, going to talk about the trial today the appeals all of the updates that have happened just in the past 48 hours Mm -hmm. that's when the the biggest news kind of happened so if you haven't listened to episode one we it's so interesting whenever we do two-parter a two-parter because we can see on our the platform that we use to host the site, what our downloads are, there's always so many more downloads for the second part. People just skip And to we the don't end. understand if people aren't listening to the first one or if people just like the second one so much that they download it multiple times. We don't understand it, but... If I was listening to a multi-part thing, I would listen to both just so I understood all yeah. the context. And this is one that you're going to want all the information. So go back and listen to the first one if you're just now joining us. And then come back. Welcome. We'll be here. We'll be here. We're, we're not going, going, going nowhere. We we'll physically right can't here. leave. That's true. We're, we're in your phone. We're trapped in these phones. Let us out. We're trapped in your phone. Well, I'm Christy. I'm Heather. And let let me get get do that again.
1: This. I'm Heather. Okay.
2: We're going to be speaking like this for the... Re- Actually, that's not an appropriate case for not us at to all. be doing voice. I just feel bad that voice. my voice sounds like no, this. No, so I don't feel bad. The allergies here are very bad right now. I'm sick. Ella's been sick. Tommy's sick. You're sick. Everybody's sick. So apologies. So let's get into it. In 1997, Rodney Reed was charged with the murder of Stacey Stites, when the trial began, prosecutors alleged that Rodney had intercepted Stacy on her way to work between 3 and 5 a.m. on the night of the murder. Crime scene investigators scoured Jimmy's truck, which Stacy had been driving, and yet found no hair, fingerprints, or other evidence that Rodney had been in the car at all. The only forensic evidence indicated Jimmy and Stacy had been inside the car. Forensic experts at trial testified to what they called Cinderella's slipper in the case the presence of Rodney's sperm in Stacy's vagina. The prosecution alleged that based on the medical examiner's testimony, the sperm could only have been there as a result of sexual assault. The state claimed that because the spermatozoa were present, they indicated that the sexual assault had occurred at the time of the murder and not the previous day, as Rodney claimed.
1: Yeah, I think this is where the prosecutors sort of misled the jury in the Medical part of this and the scientific part of this, they insisted, and they that those that they had testify that later it came out they weren't there were professionals in the field but not quite experts testified that without a doubt sperm cannot last more than twenty three hours. But so much scientific literature has come out since that yeah. it can last for multiple multiple hours, days, seventy two hours. I or didn't more. know
2: that that information had come out in the past ten years or so. I thought that that you had mean, been around. Oh, the the finding, the scientific finding that can last longer? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I thought that that was kind of always known, but... Well, at the time, it seems like from the medical examiner's later testimony, it seemed like at the time he knew that it was possible, but it wasn't... Lying by omission? Well, and it was almost like not his... Report and findings were sort of Twisted at the Mm -hmm. trial I mean You're the prosecutor that's what you want to do is make it Sound like the worst possible and this Is the only the only way it could Have been there is it had to have been at three o'clock in the Morning but he said you know At the time it wasn't well known And it has become more well known now but That it was possible
2: yeah nowadays An expert could not Get on the stand and say that and Anyone believe that they were credible at all They would have rebuttal yeah left right and center the prosecutors called this Cinderella slipper because it basically placed Rodney with Stacy at the time of her death. This, however, has since been refuted. The prosecutors also asked the medical examiner, Dr. Roberto Bayardo, for an estimate of Stacy's time of death. He estimated that she was killed at approximately 3 a.m. However, he has since recanted that testimony and emphasized that his testimony was merely an estimate, not an exact time of death.
1: Yeah, he didn't know that they were going to use his guess as a. The medical examiner said she definitely died at three a.m. and he said, "Oh no, no." I said, "She she could have have approximately died at three a.m., but I'm not totally sure." And he's not a forensic pathologist; he's a medical. So the medical examiner's cause of death, not time of death.
2: Okay. Okay. On May eighteenth, nineteen ninety-eight. Rodney Reed was convicted of rape and murder by the all-white jury after the prosecutor struck the only two black jurors from the veneer panel. So probably is safe to say he did not receive a fair trial. No. In a very rural, we already established in the first episode, uh, a town that was not progressive a lot of racism was still going on
1: at the time. We have received some DMS as well for people from that area that said the things have not changed. Your characterization is accurate. Yeah. And here are some uh, very unfortunate things. And I'm, uh, you know, in the message, apologize. And it's sad that that's still going on in 2019. Yeah.
2: So, yeah, he did not have a jury of his peers, which is the whole reason we want a jury. So a jury of your peers can, Hear the information and decide your fate.
1: And it doesn't necessarily mean an all black jury no. or an all Hispanic or Latino jury. It means a cross section of the community. It should be a sample of the community,
2: which I suppose Bastrop is pre- predominantly white, mm-hmm. but you want a jury of your peers. And it's interesting that the defense
1: would not have fought to have some black jurors. Well you can't choose that. Like you jury selection is Well, right. They're striking for it's cause. Striking or for you can also just have a peremptory strike where you can strike for any reason that's not race based. So in theory, if you can have a colorable reason that's not based on race of why you struck these people so for instance say one of the two black jurors looked at their watch and it wasn't because they were mad or annoyed or whatever but then the prosecutor struck that black juror and said uh i struck her because she looked at her watch and it made me think she was impatient so i thought she wasn't going to pay attention during the trial Mm. well he didn't say i struck that woman because she was black right but but they're underneath looking for it. any little thing that they could a classic example a that they they always bring out in law school is somebody picked their jacket up and you say oh they they were holding their jacket they were ready to leave they were being impatient they didn't want to sit through this trial they weren't going to give my defend the state the attention it needed so I struck them it's interesting that
2: unless you know that they are looking for those things you wouldn't think that any little thing you do is being analyzed and you're already under a microscope from the uh-huh. second you walk in that room uh-huh. Well, the question jurors are asked during a trial is, did this person commit the alleged act with the required mental intent? All evidence presented at trial must be relevant to that question. However, the question to jurors when sentencing is, will this defendant be likely to commit more violent crimes in the future? This means the prosecutors can introduce evidence that they
1: argue indicate that the convicted would likely commit crimes against others in the future. So that's what it sort of opens the door. And we've seen that in several other trials we've covered where, like, we saw it in in, Botham-Jean. In Botham-Jean's case, where all of a sudden these text messages between Amber Geiger, where she was making racist statements or making comments about the apartment complex, things like that, where will this person be likely to commit these type of acts in the future?
2: So a lot of stuff gets introduced at sentencing that is never mentioned during the trial. Yes. Which we're going to see happens here. Yes. At Rodney's sentencing, the state initially used his previous arrest for rape in Wichita Falls against him, despite the fact that he was tried and acquitted for this crime. The prosecution also presented evidence of additional rape supposedly committed by Rodney. According to KVUE News, once police had a match for Rodney's DNA found inside Stacy, they decided to test it against some of the other unsolved rape cases in Bastrop dating back at least 10 years. Several potential matches were found. Because he was already on trial for the capital murder of Stacy, these cases did not go to trial. However, the prosecution introduced them in the sentencing phase in an attempt to show the jury Rodney would be a continued threat to society if given the
1: opportunity. So that is where uh, some people have used the the introduction of this information to say, oh, he's not innocent, you know, he's uh, pot- possibly, potentially done these other things, but the prosecutors wanted to bring this in as, and in some legal experts have said this was like kind of sandbagging, these are cases that he wasn't convicted of. His attorneys have said, you know, what we have here are some allegations. On the one hand, yeah, sure, let's look into them, but there's argument that the prosecutors were maybe scrounging and trying to dig up as much as they could. For sure. On the other hand, these were women that weren't going to see any justice because that's also true. Their alleged attacker was now on trial for a murder and they were never going to see their case go to trial.
2: So when that happens, if you're raped by a guy while, so these alleged rapes happened when he obviously was not in jail But then they don't come out until he's already being tried for another case. They don't get to see their day in court because he's already being
1: tried for something else. I think since this was in the sentencing and then he got sent, they were all pending and live. And I think they're all still pending. And because he was sentenced to death, the prosecutors kind of say, well, it's moot. Like he can't get any worse sentence than he has. Right. But those women still deserve their day in court. Talk to the prosecutor that did not bring the case but it's arguably There was
2: another one we did where that was that happened too. I can't
1: remember. Somebody that had been convicted and then there was allegations against him. Maybe it him? was some of the Ted Bundy stuff. Maybe so. Like he was already serving time, so they didn't.
2: Yeah, I mean him. I just like if somebody commits a murder, they're on trial for that murder, but then it comes out during that murder that they also killed somebody else.
1: They don't have to pay any kind of uh penalty for that murder it depends on the prosecutor they can choose not to bring the charges and in this case perhaps it was a good thing because what if they chose not to bring these charges then he gets acquitted or not acquitted he gets uh pardoned or something you know his gets granted a new trial and say he gets found not guilty of stacy's murder at the new trial You still have all these pending cases, then you can see your day in court. The problem is, of course, you waited a long, it's been a long time, but you kind of have that, that you still have another bite at the apple. One of these was the case of A.W., a
2: 12-year-old girl who was attacked in Bastrop in 1989. A.W. is falling asleep on her couch when she was suddenly blindfolded. Her attacker then orally, vaginally, and anally raped her while repeatedly hitting her in the head and calling her names. The foreign DNA from A.W.'s rape kit was compared to Rodney's DNA profile. Rodney was not excluded, and only one in 5.5 billion people would have the same foreign DNA profile from A.W.'s rape kit as Rodney. Because Rodney was sentenced to the death penalty for Stacy's murder, these charges were not pursued. That is a rough one.
1: Yeah, and there's an article that shows the crime scene photos of oh, I can't. the young woman's face and it was pretty, she was bitten in the face. Mm-mm. So that may be another way. Not that bite mark testimony is completely accurate, but that may be a way to exclude or not exclude someone. They
2: didn't test the, the bite mark against anything already in the
1: system. Not from what I could tell. Interesting. There's not a ton reported on this base because, because she was a minor, a minor, but the, Ameka's brief from the Travis County D.A. when the, the appeals were going to the Supreme Court, they summarized the sentencing and said, just so you know, these are all the allegations that came out in sentencing. So a lot of this information came from that and then a couple of articles that have chosen to report on it. Another victim to testify during the sentencing phase was Lucy Iper,
2: Rodney's ex-girlfriend and the mother of two children with Rodney. According to Lucy, Rodney was physically abusive and raped her all the time including one time in front of their kids. This was pretty damning testimony. Yeah. Rodney later dated Caroline Revis, an intellectually disabled woman. This relationship was also brought up during sentencing. When Caroline's caseworker noticed bruises on her body and inquired into the injuries, Revis said that Rodney would hurt her if she refused to have sex with him. In another encounter with her caseworker, Revis was walking oddly and sat down gingerly. When asked what happened, Revis told her caseworker that the night before, Rodney had called her vulgar names, hit her, and then angrily raped her. Revis was swabbed as part of a rape kit. However, Revis declined to be interviewed by a grand jury, so the case was dropped. This DNA provided the link from Rodney to Stacy's murder. We talked about that one in the first episode, too. Yes.
1: It's also, again, damning evidence. Yes. And again, it's somebody that's been accused of things. That then it's doesn't make it OK that they are sentenced to death for something that they didn't do. Right. It also doesn't mean that they shouldn't face consequences for stuff they've done. Absolutely. But his attorney from all these said, you know, it's allegations and we'll deal with them after we get rid One of the death penalty. At a time. Yeah. Six months before Stacy's murder, Vivian
2: Harbottle was walking home beneath a train trestle. There, she alleges that Rodney raped her and when she pleaded for her life for the sake of her children, he laughed at her. Foreign DNA from her rape kit could not exclude Rodney and only one person in 5.5 billion would be expected to have the same DNA profile.
1: If I was a Betting woman, I would say the odds are not in his favor for yeah. that. One. his uh, attorneys also say, you know, that was old testing methods. And if we were able to test them in new methods, it may come out differently. So so if charges are pursued against him for those, most likely the DNA will be retested. retested. I would think so.
2: Prosecutors then offered evidence about an attempted rape nearly six months after Stacy's murder. Linda's shoe was 19 when Rodney asked her to give him a ride home around 3.30 a.m. Reed directed her to a remote area where he attacked her. After a, quote, prolonged struggle, Linda asked Rodney what he wanted, to which he replied, I want a blow job. Linda said, you'll have to kill me before you get anything. Rodney's alleged response was, I guess I'll have to kill you then. When a car suddenly approached, Rodney allegedly got spooked and
1: fled, sparing Linda's life. And that was she reported it and then was shown a photo lineup and was able to identify him and also was willing to testify as part of that.
2: And th- so this one came out prior to him being picked up for the murder of Stacy. Yes. And she was willing to testify in a case unrelated to Stacy's if her case went to trial.
1: Is that what you're saying? What do you mean a case unrelated to like in her own? Yes. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, she was interested in she reported it to the police and was interested in pursuing. So because she
2: because this happened before he was picked up for it, why? Why didn't it
1: go to trial before the stuff with Stacy? They the incident happened six months before and then. They, I don't think that they found him until, like, he was still in the wind by the time then they picked him up for Stacy's murder and then matched to her. Gotcha. The prosecution attempted to establish a
2: profile of Rodney's victims. Three victims, Connie York, Lucy Iper, and Linda Schuletter, were all around Stacy's age at the time of their attacks. Four victims were attacked in Bastrop. 12-year-old A.W., Caroline Rivas, Vivian Harbottle, and Linda Schuletter. In fact, the latter two were abducted along the same route Stacy took to work and around the same time that Stacy likely went missing, 3 a.m. Four of the victims were subjected to anal rape, much like Stacy, and the majority of victims were subjected to physical violence in addition to rape. Rodney and his family vehemently deny he attacked any of the women who testified at sentencing. Rodney's legal team has also requested retesting of the DNA samples using modern techniques on any physical evidence relating to these cases, even offering to pay for the DNA testing to clear up the accusations.
1: Well, then hopefully if it comes to that, all of that will be done, be settled. And, and they've I would assume that the D.A.'s office or the uh, police have maintained all the samples maintained all the evidence yeah and it sounds like some of the victims at least are willing to testify Mm -hmm. so hopefully if if it turns out that that's that he's a viable suspect then they get their chance at justice as well so aw if that happened in 89 and she was 12 she'd be 32 uh no she was 12 and 89 she's older than that she would have been born in like the late 70s if you're 12 and 89 man i'll tell you what
2: i've never been good at math and so you especially can't do it. On you were the born fly. in seventy seven, so oh well. Okay, I was born in seventy nine, and I'm forty, so she's probably forty two. Mm-hmm.
1: I don't know that you would forget that.
2: No, I don't think so. I'm interested to see if after all this time, if if
1: I mean, because there's no statute of limitations on rape in Texas, correct? Correct. And I don't know when that law kicked in, but I think I was trying to do this, some research on this. If you're in prison for something else, if the statute of limitations tolls, so like if you commit a crime in Texas and then you leave the state and say there's like a two year statute of limitations on that crime and you leave the state for three years and then you come back, they say, oh, you're back. Okay, well, we still have two more years to prosecute you. And so I think there's I'm not entirely sure if there's tolling while you're in jail. But if there's no statute of limitations, would that matter? I would depend. I would think you... So, like, say there was an eight-year statute of limitations on rape until 1995, and now there's no statute of limitations. Oh,
2: I see what you mean.
1: Then I think that things that are committed before that are subject to the earlier one, although I could be speaking out of turn. Frankly, there was so much evidence in this case, I wasn't able to do as much legal research as I was just reading... It's overwhelming.
2: I felt with this case... Hundreds and hundreds
1: and hundreds of pages of evidence. I felt in this case, like I did with
2: Epstein, where... At some point, I had to tell myself, "Read these and and that's about and all, and that's I mean, for the most part, everything's saying the same stuff just mm-hmm. in a different way. There is some new stuff that comes out, but it's so easy to get so overwhelmed and for the research to just be very daunting in these types of cases because there is so much t- that you can read definitely well on may twenty ninth nineteen ninety eight after the punishment phase ended. The jury sentenced Rodney Reed to death. Nearly a decade after Stacy's murder, in October of 2007, Jimmy Fennell was working with the Georgetown Police Department. Georgetown is a suburb of Austin, Texas. He was called to a domestic disturbance where he encountered a woman named Connie Lear. Connie and her fiancé had been playing cards with a group of friends when her fiancé began playing footsie with another woman. When the two stormed off and got into a shouting match, the neighbors called the police. Connie's fiance was handcuffed and led away for transport to the station. Connie, concerned for her fiance's well being, began to cry. Jimmy then consoled Connie and offered to take her to meet her fiance at the station. When Connie accepted the offer, Jimmy placed her in his police car. However, instead of driving Connie to the police station, he took her to a well lit public recreation area, where he forced her out of the car. In an interview with Crime Watch
1: Daily, Connie said, He just kept telling me to shut up. He asked me to dance for him. When I told him no, he got mad. He grabbed me and slammed me up against the back of his car where the trunk is. I kept telling him to stop, but he just told me to shut up and that I knew I liked it. As Jimmy held
2: Connie down, he removed his officer utility belt, which held all of his weapons, and laid it out on the trunk of the patrol car next to her head to further intimidate her. He then held a gun to her head and raped her. Connie told Crime Watch Daily that
1: after Jimmy raped her, he handed me one of his cards and told me his kid had a soccer game the next day. And when he got done, he wanted to see me again. And that if I told anybody, he'd hunt me down when he got out of prison and kill me. Jimmy then drove Connie home. What balls. That he gave her his card I, uh, he rapes her and then hands her his business card. and he also he apparently, when he put the utility belt down by her head, he said, that's mace, and that's a nightstick, and that's a gun. And that to be like, I have all these weapons and you're don't gonna try lo- anything. Don't try anything. yep and he then he also, gives her his he, card and my I'll son see has you again. a
2: soccer game. It's like he's setting up a second date. This is not a date. I I mean, I I have thought from the beginning of this research that Jimmy, I don't know if he has mental health things necessarily, but it, all the lights aren't on up there. Something's going on. And there's a huge disconnect to where he, he knows what he's doing is wrong he may, because has, he says, if you tell anybody, I'm going to kill you. True. But he also, at the same time, gives her his card.
1: And says, I'll be back tomorrow. I
2: know I just committed a crime against you. I just raped you. Here's my name and number and all my information. Uh, bye. See you tomorrow. There's just a huge disconnect in logical thinking. He has there. some judgment issues. Yeah,
1: I don't think it it uh, lets him off the hook for what he's oh, done. Oh hell no! But he definitely. It has just
2: to me it further implicates that he's just
1: uh, entitled to women's bodies as and, property
2: and uh, rather unhinged to w- and just brazen and aggressive yep. that he thinks I can do whatever I want and then hand her my business card. I'll come back tomorrow. Nothing's she's she's not, possibly couldn't touch me. Yeah. Well, bravely, Connie immediately called 911 to report the rape. However, instead of welcomed help arriving, her worst fear came true. One of the responding officers who arrived at the scene before the ambulance could get there was none other than her attacker, Jimmy Finell. Connie panicked and ran, but Jimmy and his fellow officers chased her down and forced her to say into the in-car camera that she had made the whole thing up. The officers then arrested her for public intoxication, this is... It's, an, it's a horror film. This is a horror film. Next level nightmare. That really is. You you call the
1: police... And the dispatcher says the ambulance is on
2: his way. And then you see your You'll attacker be coming back. And he's walking up to you. Golly, that gives me the chills just thinking about it. It's... Also, ew. kudos to her for even after being raped by this cop... He threatens her life. She says... Fuck you. I'm gonna- fuck you. I'm calling the cops anyways. I'm calling the po- the police... After the police just raped me. Yeah. I mean, who do you turn to? Exactly. And Man. that's he used that against her. He mm-hmm. knew you can try and call, but
1: he's going to hear it on the his, law. He's, he's going to hear call it on the his radio. Law? I'm the law. Yeah. The radio tells him exactly where to go and God, find her. That is straight up a horror movie.
2: Connie persisted in seeking justice for herself. Finally, in September of 2008, Jimmy was arrested and copped a plea deal to kidnapping and improper sexual activity with a person in custody. He was sentenced to ten years in state prison. Connie sued the city of
1: Georgetown and settled for a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, he basically didn't have much of a case because her handprints were on the trunk of his car, and she was at no point under arrest. And Did she have a rape kit done. Yes. So his, I mean, yeah, his semen's yeah. inside of her
2: as well. Yeah. Golly. Connie also gave an interview to filmmaker Ryan Polomsky. The Austin Chronicle quoted that interview in which Connie indicated that Jimmy had likely done something like this before based on his behavior.
1: She told Polomsky, he didn't act like it was his first time being mean and hateful toward a woman. He was angry, especially when I told him no and made him mad, extremely mad. The Austin Chronicle
2: also indicated that during the assault in the park, Jimmy was not nervous to be doing such a horrible
1: thing in public and quoted Connie as saying based off of what Jimmy Fennell Jr. has done to me and the experience I went through with him. I think that man is more than capable of murder. To to be in uniform,
2: pull over in a well-lit public area, and rapes someone on the trunk of your car out in just the middle of everything. The Brazen. The brazen balls of
1: I can't be touched that this guy has. You think that you're above the law, that you're... Uh, something something Beyond regular you know I'm, I'm not Like y'all I'm not going to get caught I'm not going to get Taken down and then it sounds like his Friends well out. he
2: of course he Thinks this he he just raped felt, and Murdered or he, he did he, he Sodomized and murdered his fiance And wasn't caught yes. because of Who he was with the law
1: So this just behavior continues Why would anyone think he was going To stop that for sure and the Fact that I guess finally they were able to Track him down and say did you do that? And he had to plead guilty. You know, whenever somebody, you know, there's her fingerprints are on the car. She could describe him. She had his business card. This was one where it was smoking gun kind of evidence. He had to plead. to Yeah. It. In the intervening years,
2: multiple other women have come forward, claiming that Jimmy Finell has done something similar to them. In its investigation of the rape of Connie, the Williamson County Sheriff's Department uncovered evidence of another rape by Jimmy Finell in March of 2007. Jimmy had arrested a victim, identified only by the initials B.A. He then strip searched her in front of two other male officers, drove her to a park in the middle of the night and raped
1: her. So he is a serial rapist. Yes.
2: 100%.
1: Yes. And he his behavior as a police officer was obviously he took his badge and used it for his own vengeance and for his own personal pleasure. Absolutely.
2: There were other reports of Jimmy misusing his position as a police officer to sexually pursue women, including ogling a woman who he pulled over and forcing another woman he pulled over to take off her clothes and dance with him, saying to her, It's not like I'm going to rape you or anything. Jimmy threatened yet another woman who asked how she could keep from having her kids
1: taken by CPS by telling her he could bend her over the couch and fuck you.
2: If you could see my face right now.
1: Yeah. He doesn't have a good track record as a cop. For a woman, first of all,
2: I don't know her story, but anytime CPS is involved as a parent, that's a terrifying thing. Mm-hmm. And to ask a cop. What who, could I possibly th- that do? That you, the one person again that you think can you're help. that can help you. And that's the reaction you get. I could bend you over this couch and fuck you. Imagine how defeated you feel and just, well, the justice system is literally
1: raping me. It let you down. Yeah. It sounds like, and and in all these cases, he's taken people who, our they're in they're vulnerable, vulnerable they're positions the ogled woman she, he separated her from her friend who was in the car and took her into the bushes and kept staring at her chest and kept getting closer to her and she said she finally was backed pretty much fully into a bush because every step she would take backwards he would take one forwards and she said his head was just pointed down at her chest God. and she was wearing a tank top kind of a spaghetti strap tank top and he just kept looking down at her chest and she said it made her feel very uncomfortable And then, yeah, like I said, the other one stripped her down, also in kind of a wooded area. So he did not have a great track record.
2: No. Well, Jimmy Fennell Jr. was released from state custody in March of
1: 2018. And still maintains his innocence.
2: Rodney's attorneys have been appealing his conviction since the end of his first trial. His lawyers alleged there was insufficient evidence to support his conviction. The court disagreed and affirmed his capital murder conviction based on the strength of evidence presented at trial. His initial appeal was denied by the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals on December 6, 2000. The same court denied his second appeal on February 2, 2002. He appealed a total of five times, all of which were denied or dismissed, from 2002 to 2009. The Texas Court of Criminal Appeals is the highest court for criminal appeals in Texas. Once they have affirmed a conviction, the next route is a federal appeal. Rodney's attorneys also filed a federal writ of habeas corpus. On September 25, 2012, the District Court for the Western District of Texas denied his federal habeas petition. His attorneys then filed for a certificate of appealability with the Fifth Circuit, which was denied on January 10th, 2014. So They
1: were basically going through every possible channel and at every turn being told, no, it looks good. There was enough evidence here. How does that happen? I think that, again, it was the misstatement of the DNA. It was the way the DNA was presented. And if you read some of the appellate decisions, the... Misunderstanding by the judiciary, and in fact, if you know from my experience, mostly it's law clerks who are attorneys. But they, the attorneys, will write the the opinion, and then the judge kind of reads it and then signs off on it. In some cases, some judges do write their opinion, but nevertheless, there's a lot of trial record to go through. They go through the trial record. All they can do is read, look at the evidence, and then read the transcript. And if in the transcript you see a quote unquote expert saying. His sperm was inside of her. There's no way that his sperm could have been a lot, that much sperm, which really wasn't a lot. But they made it sound like that there's no way that could have been there for more than this many hours. And the last time she was seen alive was by her fiancé, who in typewritten, Jimmy Finnell sounds very... um Sympathetic, you know, He sounds like mm-hmm. a grieving fiance in the in his testimony. And so if you're if you're reading that, if you're going by the shanty evidence that was at trial and the way that it was presented was fairly convincing, then, yeah, if you're a court of appeals and you don't understand medical science and you don't have anything strong, if you don't have any strong alternate opinions to look at, then, yeah, you may say, well, there's enough evidence there. So it would take someone in that process reading that and saying
2: uh no, actually, spermatozoa can live in a woman's body for three days, and yes. I think we need to relook at this. Yes, but no one, even up until 2014,
1: yes, where was presenting that type of evidence? Because he, I think that was, and I'm DM me if I'm wrong, but I believe that that was before the Innocence Project got involved, and they have a much more robust set of people that volunteer with them and cooperate with them. And so he may have had other appellate attorneys helping him out. And then once they got involved, they brought in world renowned experts who could look at this and say, I'm the best person in this field. And I can tell you without a doubt, X versus before they may say, well, we, you know, according to our research, we think it's less convincing. Okay, got it.
2: Well, after the denial of those appeals, new evidence began to surface in Rodney's case. According to Stacy's mother, who lived downstairs from Stacy and Jimmy, she heard one set of footsteps leaving around 3 a.m. She assumed it was Stacy taking the couple's only car, Jimmy's truck, to work. But for those who believe Jimmy may be the killer, how would he have been able to return to their apartment with no truck, as his truck was found in the Bastrop High parking lot on the day of the murder? Rodney's appellate attorneys believe they may have the answer. The beer cans found near Stacy's body were apparently tested at the time of the murder. However, for reasons unknown, the lab reports were not provided to Rodney's defense attorneys before trial. Those reports indicated that Rodney's DNA was not present on the beer cans. However, two police officers, one a neighbor and close friend of Jimmy Fennell, were tested, and the DNA from the beer can could not exclude either of them. Could these police buddies have given Jimmy a ride back home after he dumped his truck at another location? How was this not given to the defense? Isn't that
1: illegal? Correct. That is a violation of a standard called Brady. It's Brady versus Maryland. So when the state or prosecutors have exculpatory evidence for a defendant, they have a duty to turn it over to the defendant. And what we've seen, unfortunately, in case after case after case, uh, the Innocence Project and other organizations see prosecutors in Texas and many other states straight up just were hiding stuff. They, so, I mean, that's what this was. They were straight
2: up like, "No, we're not giving this to them because this makes our case
1: look bad." Yeah,
2: which is, but it didn't, do. and it didn't come out until after he's convicted. Yes, and therefore it's a reason to get a new trial. Correct. That's a
1: violation of your constitutional right. So, God damn, that shady hiding shit. Yes, for sure. I believe that a law should be passed in Texas that prosecutors who intentionally withhold evidence should be subject to criminal punishment. And I think that the statute of limitations on that criminal punishment should not run until a person's exonerated. And then you have so say, like tampering with evidence is a felony for it's like a two year statute of limitations that if like, you know, uh, Rodney's been in jail since the late 1998, then in 2000. Then that would have, his time would have run out on bringing charges against the prosecutor for hiding this evidence. I think that there should be a change to the law that the statute of limitations would be two years after he's exonerated. That if Mm. the prosecutor hides the evidence that you that could have, that could have, helped, that could have got you off. That hid exculpatory evidence, which would be like tampering. In Texas, it could be tampering. It could be, uh, tampering with a government record, tampering with physical evidence. Those Planting are Planting
2: evidence. Yes.
1: Well, those are actual, th- those two. Planting evidence isn't. It would fall under these two. Two actual crimes is tampering with government records or tampering with physical evidence mm. that you normally would have a two year statute. I think that prosecutors who do this knowingly intentionally willingly should be subjected to criminal punishment up to two years after the exoneration definitely i think their law license should also be revoked and they shouldn't be
2: able to practice law and that usually
1: that has happened in past cases of this happening well i hope that that, happens
2: in this case but all
1: that does is say okay well now you can't practice law you're still not punished no i think both things should happen Yeah, definitely That's you're you're playing god that's somebody's life literally Yeah. yeah and the question is why so you know Because you want to win. Correct. You want to win. You want to look like you got the guy so you can win re-election. My other thing is... Because both sides, even though Rodney is not their client, both sides should be ideally
2: striving for the truth. Correct. And wanting to put the the correct person behind bars. So even if that's not your client, morally and
1: ethically, you took an oath to uphold Mm -hmm. the law and you're not doing that. I spoke with a DA and they told me I think that I agree with you talking about there should be some sort of criminal punishment. And they said, my job is so sacred and people, shitty people like that, make it make me look so bad. Yeah. And all I want to do is get the right people. And if I don't have enough evidence, drop the charges, you know, and say, we need, we need enough evidence and I want to play with a level playing field. Yeah. And so take them down. You know, if they're definitely like this, take them down. So I I think the other flip side of somebody it convicting the wrong person is you see you saw it with the exonerated five the central park mm-hmm. jogger case where the guy that actually did it after the very corrupt sex crimes unit completely pinned it on these teenagers that guy went on to attack more yes. women and in my mind as did jimmy you are culpable yeah
2: yes you if you had put the correct person behind bars you just caused these women to get raped he, uh how many women came out? At least five. Five, five women came out saying yeah. he raped them or sexually assaulted them in some way. You were culp- culpable for all of those. Mm-hmm. That's on you. Yeah. Well, since the trial, several people have also come forward to speak to the nature of Stacy and Rodney's consensual relationship. According to The Washington Post, Charles Wayne Fletcher, who worked with Jimmy Fennell at the Bastrop County Sheriff's Office, submitted a sworn statement in which he recalled to Rodney's attorneys that Jimmy
1: specifically expressed concerns that Stacy was involved with an N-word, but he said the real thing. Yeah, Jimmy he frequently. didn't say N-word. No, Jimmy Finell says the N-word a lot. And Charles Wayne Fletcher said he was highly disturbed by hearing that. He said, I never forgot it because it was so disturbing at the time you remember someone saying something Absol- like that. Yes,
2: that's a word that sticks with you. And when a fellow officer is saying it, That's sticks with you even more. It also shows that he was well aware that his fiance was cheating on him with Mm -hmm. Rodney, and that this wasn't just a stranger that no one had ever heard about. It happened upon her in the night. Yeah, also happened upon her in the night. We kind of skipped past. The prosecution said Rodney just
1: intercepted somehow
2: intercepted her while she's driving. He had no weapon on him. No. How. Have you ever just been driving and someone flags you down? And I mean, what is even at three o'clock in the morning? You don't stop. No. And and even said she was was scared to drive that. And she sped down that road. And that she specifically did not stop along that road. She would take like food and water with her in the car. So she didn't have to stop for anything on on her commute. So he's contradicting himself.
1: Yeah. That they intercept. He intercepted her. I I don't buy it. That doesn't make any sense
2: to me. One of Stacy's coworkers, Rebecca Peoples, recalled to Rodney's attorney that Stacy once told Rebecca that Stacy was afraid of Jimmy, and that Stacy was having an affair with a black man. So, as we talked about in the first episode, too, a lot of people in this small town knew the secret affair wasn't so secret.
1: Yes, it was pretty open. It was an open secret. As yes, I say, yes,
2: and and the people that knew were Jimmy. Yeah, and Stacy's family claims or her. Her two of her sisters and her mother claim they had never heard of Rodney. I I don't know if Jimmy has heard of Rodney. It stands to reason most people had heard that she was sleeping with Rodney.
1: And you never know if you, as her mom, maybe because after the death, you know, Rodney was not Rodney. Shit, Jimmy was still around. And she interacted with him, talked with them, whatever, to protect your own self. You yeah. protect your heart that you have to tell yourself there's no way he did it because he looked me in the eye and told me he didn't do it. Oh, my God. Oh, my God.
2: You wouldn't want to believe that the person you've let into your home, that mm-hmm. you were helping plan the wedding to marry your daughter, could be capable of something like mm-hmm. this. That's a very hard thing to come to but terms with. But she did with. say,
1: and there was so much evidence, we weren't able to include all of it, but there was an incident that evening where Carol said, jimmy stormed off and she said he was rude and made her cry made carol cry yeah mom he's, yeah i mean it's so he's not some beloved member n- of the family no, no, although no. they have come out afterwards and said oh we love jimmy we never thought he did this but she had made statements that he had a bad attitude and he didn't know how to act or was rude or something like that
2: well during the trial three forensic experts testified since the trial, the three experts have all submitted affidavits that the original time of death of Stacy is inaccurate. The time of death is a pivotal piece of evidence, as it shows that it is virtually impossible that Rodney killed Stacy. In the years since the trial, Dr. Roberto Bayardo, the forensic pathologist who served as the Travis County medical examiner at the time, has disagreed with the testimony of experts at trial. Those experts insisted that Rodney's sperm could only be present as a result of sexual assault. In his declaration dated August 13, 2012, Dr. Bayardo acknowledged that at trial, he testified that he found Stacey was sexually assaulted. However, he now states that his estimated time of death was just that, an estimate, and that it should not have been used in an accurate statement of when Stacy
1: died. He goes on to add, In my professional opinion, pinpointing a precise time of exactly when Miss Tites died would have been and remains impossible.
2: Further, the sperm found in Stacy's
1: body could have been there for over 24 hours.
2: Prosecutors at trial argued that spermatozoa cannot remain intact for more than 24 hours. However, Dr. Bayardo is aware of medical literature where spermatozoa have survived
1: inside of bodies for days. Further, Dr. Bayarder now says, The presence of spermatozoa in the vaginal cavity was not evidence of sexual assault. There was no indication that the spermatozoa were placed there in any fashion other than consensually. The fact that I found very few, as stated in the autopsy report of the sto- spermatozoa in Miss Stite's vaginal cavity, suggests that the spermatozoa was not deposited less than 24 hours before Mrs. Stite's death. It's a lot of spermatozoa. Yeah, and I think, I mean, because he's trying to be the word, accurate, because the like amount. I said... Correct. And there was a very, small, was a very amount.
2: small amount of
1: spermatozoa, a lot of word of spermatozoa. He just said it a bunch of times <laughs> in his written statement, but I think he was trying to be precise.
2: And and I appreciate that. And yeah, it's
1: definitely shows that the timeline does not add up. Correct. The testimony at trial was if there was that much sperm, it had to have been less than 24 hours, but it was three mm-hmm. and like he said it could have he had no indication otherwise right but they sort of misinterpreted what he had said
2: well finally dr bayardo concluded that stacy was sexually assaulted in her rectum he noted that smears from her rectum contained only microscopic trace amounts of spermatozoa he further described that her rectal penetration did not resemble penile penetration but was more akin to object penetration specifically with something
1: shaped like a police baton Dr. Bayardo says, Had I been asked to trial if spermatozoa and or seminal fluid had been found in Miss Dite's rectal cavity, I would have said that it had not consistent with the autopsy report. So you frequently see people arguing against Rodney, saying, oh, well, there was semen in her rectum, which there wasn't. And the trace amounts of spermatozoa in her rectum was likely from leakage from her vaginal Mm -hmm. cavity is what... And That's because there. the crime scene investigators started going in and swabbing stuff and it wasn't done properly, that There's they trace. could have mixed it. Yes. Yeah.
2: Can you not on the stand offer information that you haven't been asked that direct question?
1: No, you can only answer the questions you're asked.
2: So you can't even weasel it in there somehow? They would just strike it Mm, from the record. You could try to.
1: They would say non-objection. They would cut you off and say objection, non-responsive. Additionally,
2: outside forensic experts have looked into the case. World-renowned forensic expert Dr. Warner Spitz is one of several renowned pathologists who have, according to the Innocence Project, concluded that Reed's guilt is medically and scientifically impossible. Renowned forensic expert Dr. Michael Baden, best known from the HBO series Autopsy, Agrees that Stacy's time of death was not between 3 and 5 a.m., as prosecutors alleged. Jimmy Fennell admitted that Stacy and he were alone together in their apartment the evening before her body was found. Physical evidence supports that as a more likely time of death. Dr. Baden points to the post mortem changes in Stacy's body, like the pooling of blood in her face, neck, and shoulder, to indicate that she was killed well before she was found. Those fluids take multiple hours to pool in the body like that indicating that Stacy was dead for hours before being transported to the site where she was found. That is something you can't argue. You can't argue with science. Pretty yeah. hard to argue with science. And these guys have dedicated their
1: entire oh, lives. Oh, Dr.
2: Warner Spitz is, uh, I mean, he's been involved in everything Jean from Benet. JFK, OJ. John JonBenet. The, uh, uh, I can't think of his name, from the staircase. Oh, yeah. That case. He, he, is, he has seen it all. Mm-hmm. And written books about it all. Oh, yes, yes. Well, Dr. Warner Spitz also reviewed this evidence after the
1: trial and said, If the victim was sexually assaulted between 3 and 5 a.m., there would be more sperm found on slides. A normal sperm count is considered to be 15 million spermatozoa per milliliter. The amount of sperm found on the slides is more consistent with a longer interval between intercourse and the time the sample was collected. As I explained in my book... Intact spermatozoa can be found in the vagina up to 72 hours after coitus. I'm a bit
2: disappointed you didn't do that in a German accent. <laughs> oh, do you want me to do again? If
1: the victim was sexually assaulted, isn't he German? Oh, I think so, yeah. I mean, he 100% has an accent. There's a sort. lot of big words. B- big words? In that spermatozoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he definitely came out on the side of if this had been sexual assault, immediate murder, A, the postmortem changes would have looked a lot different if it would have been between 3 and 5 a.m. But B, there would have been way more physical evidence on her versus the trace amounts that were found. Upon reviewing the crime scene photos, Dr. Spitz and
2: Dr. Baden have concluded that Stacey was murdered before midnight on April 22, 1996, a time when she was home alone with Jimmy Fennell. There are three key elements used to determine time of death, rigor mortis, liver mortis, or the discoloration of the skin due to blood settling in the vessels, and decomposition. The lividity seen on Stacy's right shoulder, arm, and part of her face shows that she was lying face down for about four hours after death before her body was moved. Lividity that exceeds faint patches of discoloration and the fact that the discoloration did not move as is seen in Stacy's body shows the body was lying face down for greater than four hours. When she was found, she was lying on her back where no areas of lividity were found.
1: According to Dr. Spitz, the presence of lividity in these non-dependent areas make it medically and scientifically impossible that Stites was killed between 3 and 5 a.m. on the date in question.
2: Additionally, the level of rigor mortis seen in the crime scene video indicates that the time between the video and her death was much longer than the 13 hours prosecutors indicated at trial.
1: So this is all a way to say the Innocence Project writ of habeas uh, petition has crime scene photos in it to illustrate what they're talking about. And lividity is when your face, it almost looks bruised or sunburned. And so her face and her arm, where she would have been lying face down, and where the blood you know your heart stops pumping sure. and so the blood settles there is in her face well so say that happens you're murdered you lay there for an hour and somebody flips you over then it'll settle back the other way mm-hmm. but once you sat there for a while it's settled and it stays there because it's seeped out of the vessels and it won't move so it takes about three to four hours to settle such that when you're moved it won't move it won't change the color of your face yes. and then when she was found she was lying on her back but there was lividity all in her face and arm, which showed that for at least three or four hours, she was on her face. And then for another period of time, she was then on her back.
2: Yeah, I think he killed her at home. Waited until 3 a.m. Until she was supposed to leave for work and then carried her down the stairs and called his buddies along the way. Or called his buddies before he left or whatever. yeah, To meet him and help him dispose of her. Mm -hmm. Another theory that I... Saw from a investigator on that crime watch daily. He's a retired NYPD detective Mm. and a forensic expert. He actually thinks that she was drowned. Oh, because she had something like sixteen hundred. However, they measure measure fluid in your lungs that that amount of fluid in her lungs with a woman of her size should have about six hundred. Oh, wow. He thinks that she was drowned in the bathtub. Oh. Using the belt as a like way hold to her restrain down. her. Yes. Wow. And because Jimmy told the cops, like we said in the first episode, that he and Stacey had showered together. Oh. I'm wondering if they really had been in a shower bathtub together and
1: things got heated and that's when he strangled her. Well, because he had, there's a whole other section of evidence that we don't include because it's used in the petition for the writ for showing Jimmy's inconsistent statements and that he's lying, basically. But he made a comment to investigators at the time they said oh did you have sex that night because he said oh we showered together but we didn't have sex and they said oh why not he said she was on the vitamin pill in her birth control pack and she said that that makes her more susceptible to getting pregnant and that we couldn't have sex and they of course interview a gynecologist who said well, uh, what the fuck are you talking about that's not a thing <laughs> uh,
2: if there is no vitamin pill that is uh, there are sugar pills or the, the, the
1: off week pills this placebo whatever off week pills or whatever but she said There's no such thing as mega pregnancy vitamins. She was probably telling him... So she wouldn't have to have sex with him. Yeah, 100%. And so maybe she rebuffed him in the shower and he says, oh, you'll F somebody else, but you won't F me. And then something... Who's to say? We don't know because, you know, of course he pled the fifth, but that's an interesting theory as far as having the liquid in the Mm -hmm. lungs.
2: So he could have possibly or just held her down in the bathtub and drowned her and then to make it look like... She had been uh, intercepted by someone on the road and strangled to death. He then strangles her after she's Mm -hmm. already dead. I think that the markings indicate she was alive when the belt was around Mm -hmm. her neck. Interesting. Well, in 2010, a self-described lifelong criminal named Arthur Snow was serving time for forgery in the Stevenson Unit, a state prison for men located about an hour and a half southeast of San Antonio. In a sworn affidavit dated October ninth, 2019, Snow explains how he was brought up to be prejudiced against black people because, according to Snow, prison can be dangerous, a chaotic and violent place. He chose to join the Aryan Brotherhood, the whites only prison gang that aligned with his entrenched racist beliefs. Yes, you have to join some kind of gang. Yikes. I mean, I think you do.
1: I mean, I've never been to prison. The worst part of prison is the Dementors. (laughs)
2: I would join that gang over the Aryan Brotherhood. But, yeah, I mean, I think if you're in prison, you, you join something to help protect you because otherwise you're getting the shit beat out of you and you're also getting raped on a daily basis. Potentially, yeah, definitely. Well, as time went on, Snow rose in the ranks of the Brotherhood to become a respected member. Other prison inmates would often approach him for services like protection from other inmates. In 2010, Jimmy Fennell was one of those inmates who approached Snow. Jimmy asked for protection from the black and Mexican inmates. The two struck up a deal where Jimmy would pay the Brotherhood from his commissary funds and the Brotherhood would keep Jimmy safe. Rising up in the ranks of the Aryan Brotherhood, man, what
1: an accomplishment. That is something you definitely put on your resume. That's a bullet point. This guy, kind of, his affidavit, he sort of makes it seem like he was uh, a reluctant leader. Oh, well, you know, I was just in it for a long time. They they, they elected me. What am I to do? What am, am I going to s- tell the, the Brotherhood no? No to the people who have elected me? God.
2: Yeah. Well, Snow never claims to have been friends with Jimmy, but that the two... Uh, occasionally made conversation. One day in the rec yard, the two struck up such a conversation. Snow recalls... Very clearly... That Jimmy spoke of Stacy with... A lot of hatred and resentment. Part of that resentment stemmed from the fact he that... S- he said his fiance
1: had been sleeping around on him with a black man behind his back. Jimmy ended the conversation by telling Snow... I had to kill my inward loving fiance." Snow felt
2: that Jimmy sounded... And proud. And likely... It felt safe. Telling Snow such a thing, considering Snow's position in the Brotherhood. Yeah,
1: the description of it is almost like... Snow said, yeah, 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 we'll protect you. Just give us It's money. Bra- he's bragging. And then he came up to Snow and said, hey, you're a white supremacist. And you want to know what I did? And Snow said, we're not friends. Why are you talking to me right now?
2: And he's most likely trying to gain
1: points and look cool. Yeah, and look cool. It's It's like high school. In you know, a really fucked up way. Or he thought, let me get this off my chest. And if anybody will understand why I would kill a woman. True. Because she slept with a black man. That's yeah. why I killed her. And then it's a win-win. He feels like he gets points. But then also he can get this off his chest. Yeah. Somebody who feels like will agree with him. Absolutely. A new inmate arrived and informed Snow of Jimmy's
2: past as a cop who raped a woman in his custody. Once that news spread, the Brotherhood could no longer protect Jimmy. Fellow prisoners had little regard for a cop or a rapist, not to mention someone who was both. Snow was eventually moved to a unit where gang members were frequently aggregated.
1: Yeah, it's a little outside the scope of the discussion, but just to show what a shitbag Jimmy Vanell was, he they say snow says listen man you're a cop and a rapist we really can't protect you like there's no way we can do this anymore the deal's off snow not snow jimmy then goes to the guards and says just so you know they've been making me pay them they've been blackmailing me and making me pay them a little bitch. and so then snow gets in trouble and gets sent to a, a more secure unit where gang members get sent because he gets ratted basically by jimmy also- Snow.
2: also I I don't think I would snitch on the Aryan Brotherhood in prison. Call nope. me crazy. I would not, but that's again, that shows how just ignorant and and night and just above the law this guy, even in prison this guy mm-hmm. thinks I I'm better than all of you. Yeah, I can do whatever I want. It's he's very patronizing and condescending. I've always found
1: prison politics to be fascinating. I bet there's people that spend, you know, anthropologists or somebody that study that.
2: It's because you could have uh, the worst of the worst Mm -hmm. behind bars, Mm -hmm. but they have their own set of code of conduct. Mm -hmm. Uh, Anything involving kids. Yeah. You're going to get your ass beat. Probably maybe killed in there. Anything. Mm -hmm. If you're a cop, anything like involving uh, like rape. It's niching. Yeah, yeah. It's just interesting
1: how it's a code. It is like a, the Wild West laws.
2: Even in this microcosm, they develop their own norms. ethics, and morals,
1: and norms, and yes, yeah, like that. It yeah. is very fascinating.
2: It was not until years later that Snow made the connection between Jimmy Fennell and Rodney Reed. Snow saw Jimmy's photo in a newspaper article next to Rodney's photo. It was then that Snow realized Rodney was in jail for a crime that Jimmy committed. Initially, Snow did not want to get involved as he feared being labeled a snitch. However, Snow had kids and grandkids. During his stints out of jail, he began to mature and let go of his past prejudices. His conscience caught up with him. So when he recently saw another article about Rodney Reed, Snow decided to come forward. Yeah, he had a change of heart like the Grinch.
1: It's very American History X. Yeah, that's which is true. such a phenomenal film. He says it in his affidavit. You know, I looked at my kids and I thought, I don't want them to be like this. And then I realized I have to be a good dude and say something. And snitching is one thing. But someone being executed for a crime they didn't do is it's worth it to be a snitch. Good for him.
2: According to The Washington Post, Robert Phillips, Jimmy Fennell's attorney in the sexual assault case, believes that allegations that Jimmy killed Stacy are laughably untrue. He then pointed to several unprosecuted sexual assault allegations against Rodney Reed and claimed those women have scars they'll never get rid of because of this savage guy.
1: Snow, nevertheless, stands by his memory. Yeah, and uh, the attorney also said, "This guy's a criminal. He's a lifelong criminal. Why would we ever listen to anything he said?" Well, your fucking stupid loser client is a criminal too. Why do we listen to anything he said? Yeah, you know. In fact, I would argue that most people you represent <laughs> are criminals. So, that makes sense. how are we gonna throw people in glass houses, man? Yeah, I also find it problematic and a coded racism to say call Rodney Reed a quote savage guy because mm, yeah. it is decades and centuries of labeling a black man as a savage as yes, an other as, as an, an animal. animal yeah and using language like that is fully i mean it's if it's not it's coded language it's well in its subconscious racism you know it's systemic yeah. yeah well i think that it, whether or not this attorney was being overtly racist is definitely indicates an implicit bias on mm-hmm. his behalf by using that long-standing negative stereotype absolutely well, for many, the information Snow has brought to light does not come
2: as a surprise. Police documents describe Jimmy and Stacy's relationship as, quote, strained. And numerous friends told police that Jimmy was insanely jealous of her talking to other men, tried to isolate Stacy by not allowing her to talk on the phone with her friends, and would even
1: slit her tires to prevent her from going out. A lot of indication from friends with firsthand knowledge that he was not a great
2: boyfriend. No, very. This is all classic abuser definitely isolation not winning the his victim to have friends i'm honestly surprised he uh, they lived upstairs from her mom because that's so close to have a a witness Mm -hmm. a neighbor of jimmy and stacy's william sappington reported to local law enforcement that he was concerned for stacy's well-being because he would frequently hear jimmy's Uh, abusive aggressive and angry language towards stacy Sappington told his daughters he believed Jimmy was also physically abusive towards Stacy. Once she was murdered, Mr. Sappington mentioned his concerns to law enforcement, but was told Jimmy would never do that type
1: of thing. Again, so him he's him.
2: being protected by his own. It's we can't. To admit that one of your own can do that implicates your judgment. True. And that you hired him. You worked beside yes, him. True. And you know, who wants to admit that they made a mistake like that that led to something like this? That's true. It's easier to just pretend it didn't happen and turn, to blind,
1: turn a blind eye to it. Well, and Sappington's daughter said it was while Stacey was alive that he was concerned for her because he could hear him Jimmy hollering at her. I'm sure the whole complex could hear it. And, and his daughter said later, she said, I would so regret it and I'll never forgive myself. But she said she told him, Daddy, stay out of it because a person like that, you don't know what they're capable of. Stay out of it, and look what I mean you know that they probably I mean, we guilty. talk we
2: talk have talked before, like getting involved in stuff like that mm-hmm. as a bystander in things because well you domestic never violence know, you cases. don't yeah, and domestic violence is a whole other thing where these people are unhinged, you I mean, don't know what they're capable, blind of. blind rage, you certainly don't want them coming at you and you and you becoming in danger, but man. You also wonder,
1: what if what if you're this guy and you call the cops and they say, OK, we're writing it down and the cops aren't writing it down.
2: Yeah. And I mean, they clearly were like, no, that doesn't sound like him. He couldn't do it. So Jimmy's Honestly, cool. no matter how many people were going to report this type of behavior, it didn't sound like it was going to do sound much. Like he he's being shielded. Yeah. According to Sheriff's Deputy Richard Derlerth at the time of the murder, HEB employees told him that there was a staff protocol in place regarding Jimmy Fennell. If he were to ever show up at the H-E-B while Stacy was working, workers were instructed to tell Stacy that Jimmy was coming to give her a chance
1: to run and hide. Deputy Durdler said they told me they were concerned that if they did not alert Stacy to Jimmy's presence in the store before he found her, he would start a fight with her. That is egregious that her she can't even go to work. No, that this man is terrorizing her. She's work. harassed, terrorized wherever she goes. That's and horrifying. everyone is well aware of it. Yeah, it sounds like uh, when there's a protocol because of his behavior, he has a pattern and practice of behavior. And again, these people are thinking he's a cop. Who are we going to call the yeah, cops? Exactly. They Look just how said, it worked out for Connie Lear. Yeah, girl, all you can do is go hide. We'll tell you, go in the freezer section.
2: Well, after Stacy's murder, Jimmy began dating another woman in town, Pamela Duncan, who later gave a statement to police that called Jimmy verbally hostile. She further
1: discussed how racist Jimmy was, saying Jimmy was extremely prejudiced. Before we started dating, I used to get my hair cut by a black woman. After we started dating, he wouldn't let me go to her anymore because he said her salon was across the tracks and that white women don't go there. With everything we discuss, find out, I just hate this man more. I guess, I'm like,
2: I couldn't possibly hate him more. Um, no. I was wrong. I can't. Yeah.
1: And again, controlling, finding another woman, finding a way to control her. Yeah, absolutely. Man. Well, after the two broke up, Jimmy harassed Pamela,
2: stalking her at her job by shining police cruiser headlights into the window while she worked at Circle K. He did the same thing at her home. When Pamela started dating another man in town who delivered beer, Jimmy pulled this man over so much and gave him so many tickets that he was
1: eventually fired from his job. Pamela felt afraid for her safety, saying, I felt like I was being constantly harassed and threatened, and there was nowhere to go. I finally filed a report with the police, and another officer came by, and he told me that they would make sure that Jimmy left me alone. A friend of mine later went down to the police station looking for the report I filed, and they couldn't find it. Things got better after I first filed the report, and the other officer came and talked to me, but the harassment did not stop altogether until Jimmy moved away from Giddings.
0: 18
2: plus here's what i think there needs to be a full-blown investigation into this bastrop police
1: department of what's what they were doing to protect it they're all man. fucking
2: covering up for him and, and it's the whole if this then what yeah and if and, they're willing to do this on such a big deal imagine all the little transgressions that happen and all the racism that's going on behind the scenes that no one's even
1: seeing. Exactly. And finally, in 2007, you know, when Connie finally did report that Jimmy raped her, it was the Williamson County, so it was not like the city of, it was the county office doing an investigation saying, oh my goodness, there are so many other women who have had this happen to them. That the Bastrop County, or that ignored? Bastrop's not the county, it's Williamson County, but that the police department in either Giddings or in Bastrop had ignored his behavior. All of those people need to be brought up on charges. I would think that at some point, the J- Department of Justice would look into this. I sure hope so. Well, in 2007,
2: Jimmy's wife, Ada, showed up to work with bruises on her face and told co-workers they were from a result of Jimmy throwing a phone at her. Not a great track record. Don't marry this piece of shit. I mean, it's hard because, you know? I mean, yeah, I'm not blaming her. It's I, I, I'm sure he coerced his way into her life so like all did with these all women, these other women. I hope I
1: don't know if they're still together. I I think they might be. I think he had somebody waiting for him in 2018 when he got out. Girl, and his family just said leave us alone. We just want to, you know, we're just trying to get on with our lives. Girl, if you're listening to this, run.
2: I mean, run
1: for the hills. Anybody that associates with who knows, maybe he's been reformed while his, in his time in jail. I... Begged. I, I doubt that that's happening.
2: Well, there are several items of evidence that point to the crime scene being staged by Jimmy Finnell. First, the driver's side seatbelt in the truck was buckled as if someone was sitting on top of it. This is a common practice for police officers as it keeps the warning
1: bell from dinging so they can quickly jump out of the car. Yeah, because you would think if you're a cop and you're wearing a seatbelt and you have to jump out and go and chase somebody, you have to sit there. I didn't know they didn't wear seatbelts. I don't think it's a protocol, but I think it's a common practice according to the... I mean, it makes sense. Detective or Sergeant Kevin Gaydon said it's a common practice. And he's it's also interesting that It's against the law
2: to not wear your seatbelt And <laughs> <Breaking laughs> they're all the driving, driving around With a little loophole But you know that ding ding
1: ding is so fucking into it Oh
2: dude sometimes I'll just have groceries On the passenger seat mm-hmm. and it'll ding 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 At me I'm like they're, it's. I just eat a lot They're just my groceries <laughs> Stop judging me. I know they weigh the amount of a small child But it's just my food <laughs> Stop judging me Well second Stacy's fingernails were cut Super close inconsistent With a woman preparing for her wedding Retired NYPD homicide detective and consultant Sergeant Kevin Gannon believes this was in an effort to remove any evidence under her fingernails, which could have resulted from a struggle with her attacker. Especially if the house, their
1: apartment was not searched. Absolutely. This is the same man that also thinks she was drowned. Yes. And he's the one that said that that's a common police practice with a seatbelt.
2: Third, the placement of her body at the crime scene indicates it was staged. Her name tag was placed behind her knee, and the belt being left nearby is not consistent with a stranger who wanted to evade detection. Additionally, the ligature marks on her neck were not deep enough to have broken the belt in half. Sergeant Ganon believes the belt was separated after the murder. I
1: think, too, they left the belt... With the truck, because otherwise he would have had to drive the truck. Where was he going to leave? Either leave it next to her, which would have made her be found sooner, because you see a truck on the side of down a road. You'd say, I wonder why that truck's down there. You can't drive it to the H-E-B, because right. there's probably cameras and witnesses, you know, coworkers and whatnot. So maybe, like, Sergeant Gannon thinks, leaving it next to the truck would then connect it to the truck. Like, connect the truck to the murder.
2: It's still... It's so crazy that that the prosecution wove this story that somehow she was intercepted and it just doesn't make any sense to me. Like, why would this person not have taken all the evidence with them? That's exactly
1: what Sergeant Gannon said. When you see a stranger homicide like this and there's a body dump, anything identifiable related to the crime, they take it with them. Yes. They're not leaving little clues out to be found.
2: No, and someone that's doing this like a spur of the moment thing and dumping a body. What are they going to have fingernail clippers in their, in Mm -hmm. their pocket that they're just going to take care of that real Mm -hmm. quick. Well, according to the innocence project, an organization dedicated to exonerating the wrongly convicted through DNA testing requests to test DNA from the belt used as a murder weapon and other DNA testing of the crime scene have been repeatedly denied by the Texas court of criminal appeals, the highest court for criminal cases. Anytime new evidence came to light, Rodney's attorneys filed for appeals with the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals. Unfortunately, the request for post-conviction DNA testing of the murder weapon was denied on April 12, 2017. The 2017 denial hinged on the fact that ungloved attorneys, witnesses, investigators, and jury members handled the belt after the murder, so any testing for epithelial matches would be inconclusive. His seventh appeal was denied June 26, 2019. Why aren't people Handing this thing with gloves That's a great question well, Who's just handing The the murder weapon To a bunch of Twelve strangers
1: uh, Dipshit Some idiot I don't That's know That's crazy uh, I don't know why It wouldn't be in like A bag or something Yeah Yeah They said that Well It's been spoiled, so you can't really test it. Sorry we're going to execute you. Sorry we destroyed the evidence that could have you.
2: Even if they have, you know who those 12 people are. You know who the prosecutor and the defense are. You know everyone that's handled it, so just eliminate them. And then if there's other DNA on there,
1: there you go. Or even just say, we tested it and Jimmy's DNA was on there and Rodney's wasn't. Or neither of them were. Just test it.
2: but not Really all you're looking for is is Rodney's on here. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if... 30 other people's is yeah you you know who those people are that were in the court it's it's insane to me that no one in all of these appeal processes just wanted the truth to
1: maybe be revealed well that's another question of should judges at any level be elected and not appointed and do you say your possible Opponent later could say, "Well, he let a man who raped a lady and dumped her body like trash. This judge let overturn his death sentence. What do you think about that? He's soft on crime, and it's just a great headline." So, if they were appointed, we could avoid those types of situations. That's the theory. The other question is: Then you have a judge who's sinister and doing terrible things who's been appointed and it takes a lot to get him off the bench if they are elected then in theory it's the will of the people right uh there's there's arguments on both yeah, sides there's two sides to that coin on july 23rd
2: 2019 visiting judge doug shaver signed rodney's execution order setting his execution date for november 20th 2019 at 6 p.m Rodney's attorneys have argued that the Texas Code of Criminal Procedure requires the withdrawal of Rodney's impending execution date, given the existing evidence of his innocence, as
1: well as the new evidence that has come to light in recent months. There's also a whole deal about this judge and whether he had the authority. So July 23rd, 2019, he signs the execution order. About three weeks later, he sends an email and says, hello, please take me off of any further assignments as I am retiring. So then the question now is, can he rule in Rodney's case because he retired it didn't say I am retiring as of today it just said please don't appoint me to future things but then there's another argument that when he was initially appointed to take uh, initially assigned Rodney's case it was as a visiting judge in 2014 for a single hearing and at some point he stopped having jurisdiction over that such that this execution order that he signed in 2019 he didn't have the authority to sign it Hmm. But it was a little loose on when did this appointment because the initial appointment said you have been appointed for this hearing only. But then he continued to rule on stuff. But then when he signs the execution order, he didn't really still have it. And then when he retired three weeks later and there was further pleadings in the case, he said, oh, no, no, this isn't my case anymore. I retired. I don't I can't help you. So then they said, well, who's the judge? And everyone went, we don't know. And you're like, well, he has a date that he's going to be killed. So maybe you should know wow. who's judging. Maybe we figure that out.
2: Well, Rodney's legal team at the Innocence Project filed an application for clemency on October 30th, 2019, with the Texas Board of Pardons and Paroles. Applications for clemency ask the governor to commute a death row inmate's sentence in light of new evidence that points to innocence. The new pieces of evidence at issue are Arthur Snow's affidavit and the testing of the belt for DNA evidence. The Innocence Project also filed an additional federal writ of habeas corpus on November 12, 2019, outlining the myriad of evidence that has come out since the trial and laying out the legal reasoning for granting their writ. They argued some evidence was not available at the time of the trial, and other evidence was available to the prosecution but was withheld from Rodney's legal team in violation of Brady. They also argued that Rodney's original trial counsel was ineffective, and that ineffectiveness prejudiced the outcome of the trial. Ultimately, the filing asks the court to vacate Rodney's conviction and death sentence or alternatively remand his case
1: to the district court for an evidentiary hearing. This is a very thorough laying out of all of the evidence. It has to be. And it's brilliantly written, obviously, because it's by the Innocence Project and they have the top, top, top notch lawyers doing this kind of work. And if you want further reading, of course, we'll link it in the show notes. But that's pretty much the source, one of the main sources. Of course, we've read news articles and stuff, but photographs and then affidavits that we've outlined for you here. Roderick Reed, Rodney's brother, told Dr. Phil I think right out of the gate, my brother didn't have a shot. I think this case is a prime example of why we should abolish the death penalty. It's so corrupt, it is racist. It is basically all those things that have played a major role in my brother's case. I have to agree. Yeah, it's... You just gotta be sure, man. And even Even if you're sure, what gives you the right to take someone's life? That's a good point. you're, You're killing someone for killing someone. You don't rape somebody for raping someone. You don't rob somebody for
2: robbing someone. Why would you kill someone for killing someone? Yeah. Yeah, the whole eye for an eye... Only seems to apply in death penalty cases for
1: for murder when we don't ever apply it to any other crime, anything else. And especially if, you know, that's retributive justice. Right. You're like, we want to get vengeance for the victim versus rehabilitative. We really want to try to if we can't at least make this person a functioning member of society that they need to be put away for life. We at least can make them a functioning human being. And maybe from inside they can be a functioning member of society.
2: Even if they're not a functioning member of society, I often think you 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 dying you you have nothing else to worry about. True, you living out the rest of your days in prison is more of a punishment. Absolutely, that's a good point. I mean, maybe not absolutely. It it seems like there's a strong argument there, though, huh? knowing you're going to die and being on death row and having this clock ticking down to every day is just a check mark off your calendar that is a a mental mind fuck that I never want to imagine true your entire life is taken from you possibly because you took someone else's life possibly because you did you didn't and you're wrong you're wrongfully sitting there true but having to stay in prison and knowing the rest of your life is just behind bars, mm-hmm. which
1: is worse. Yeah. But then that's nope. the seeing a
2: light at the end of the tunnel, even though that my light might be something getting shot into your vein and you're not having to deal with prison anymore or
1: I'm here until the re- until indefinitely. And you're talking about punishing people versus. And you I'm know. saying,
2: yes, either you stay in, light,
1: in prison for the rest of your life or you are put to death. Then that's that's the arguments for and against the death penalty of what's the greatest punishment and that's what you're saying. You're saying in your opinion and probably logically, it's much worse to say, well I was in prison for twenty years and then I was killed or I was in prison for sixty five years, right? That's a worse punishment. But then what why are we why do we have the criminal justice system right do you do it to deter other people because you want to say look what happens if but you it kill someone But it clearly doesn't deter people. We other will kill people. someone back Exactly it doesn't deter people if it said.
2: deterred people we wouldn't have a ton of people sitting on death
1: row for many many years Ding 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 where's the button where's the sound effect button Oh here we go let You're- me see what are we going to use for this
2: Oh god that was very inappropriate <laughs> What's not I'm telling you, it was drums. I thought it was gonna be like. Uh,
1: I was looking for like a cash register, like a. Oh. We have to. We got to beta test this, but nevertheless, <laughs> I think that you hit the nail on the head. That like the point is it doesn't killing someone back for killing someone doesn't deter no crime so then there's there's like three questions right like a do we put people in jail because we want to punish them and if so then arguably life in prison is the worst punishment Do we put people in jail because we want to deter others Well arguably we have the death penalty And it's not like fewer murders are convi- committed no. In Texas versus someplace else That's abolished it so then the other thing is Do you put people in jail because you say We would like for you to have something to offer society Let's not waste a human life And say let throw them away lock them up And throw away the then key. we need to focus on mental health Rehabilitation yes. and And things like that regardless in any of These three arguments the death penalty is Does not satisfy any of those three questions right of like what's the worst punishment what's the purpose of putting someone away and could we rehabilitate this we you kill them they can't do anything good right that's why i said with the menendez brothers if anyone should beat the death penalty someone who w- willfully shoots someone in the face with a shotgun there it is right and that's a whole ep- a series of episodes but in that case, even then, they have gone on, even though they're going to be in life for, in prison for life, they have gone on to uh make create other, a new life well and, you know a meaningful saying? life they've gone on to make other people's lives better mm-hmm. and so the it's a starfish thing right like you can throw the one back right the horseshoe crab you can I can't save everyone on the beach, but I can save one and think of all the ones that the Menendez brothers have saved so anyway we've gotten off on a tangent on the death penalty, but nevertheless, I think the death penalty, especially if justice is meted out in a racist way, then it's going to be. The uh, the result is going to be and then And there's a ton of statistics and there. We didn't cover them in this, but do the research on your own. You'll see that when it's a black per- perpetrator, alleged perpetrator and a white victim, the rates of worst punishment has I mean, it's it's way higher than if it's a white perpetrator and a white victim. A petition to have Governor Greg Abbott stay Rodney's
2: execution in light of new evidence garnered over two point nine million signatures. Celebrities like Oprah, Rihanna, Kim Kardashian West, and Meek Mill have all spoken out in an effort to pressure Governor Abbott to take action. Graffiti in downtown Austin appeared in early November of 2019 in two locations that read, Greg Abbott can
1: but won't stop the murder of Rodney Reed.
2: On November 5th, 2019, a group of 26 Texas lawmakers from both sides of the aisle wrote to Governor Abbott, the lawmakers urged Abbott to grant Rodney Reed the reprieve until new developments in the case are fully resolved and that until then, the cloud of doubt would remain over
1: his conviction. Republican Senator Ted Cruz said in a tweet, if there is credible evidence, there's a real chance the defendant is innocent. That evidence should be weighed carefully. Republican Congressman Michael McCall likewise said, this is final, and given the doubts surrounding his innocence at this time, I believe our state cannot execute Mr. Reed in good conscience.
2: So the fact that you're seeing people from both, both sides-, sides of this are saying, we cannot, in good faith, execute this man based on what we know. Mm-hmm. You've got to look at that. Yeah, it's It's very convincing. That same day, the Texas Catholic Conference of Bishops called for
1: Governor Abbott to grant Rodney reprieve as well. The bishops said that while they normally engage in advocacy efforts for every single Texas execution by urging the state to grant reprieve as a matter of mercy, based on our position that the death penalty is inadmissible in modern society. But that in Rodney's case, we are engaging as a matter of justice rather than mercy because there is substantial evidence that he may not be guilty of this crime. That's pretty powerful, and they're invoking the Lord. So not only is it, but they're saying this is not
2: about the Lord. This is about the fact
1: justice and injustice for sure, for sure. And th- throughout all of this, you know what Greg Abbott said?
2: Nothing. Silence. And oftentimes, silence says more than any words can. Inaction is yeah. Sometimes inaction, inaction is, is greatest action. Despite the evidence, the outrage, and the very real and likely probability that Jimmy Fennell, in fact, was the real perpetrator, Rodney Reed was still scheduled to be executed on November 20th, 2019. That would be three days from when we are recording this right now. Yes, and the, the day of release. Yes, the day this will come out. However, on Friday, November 15th, the Texas Board of Parole and Pardons voted unanimously to delay Rodney's execution for 120 days, pending investigation of new evidence. The board's decision then went to Governor Greg Abbott, who has the authority to halt the execution.
1: Governor Abbott remained silent. So they basically send a recommendation. Hey, we think you should at least stay up for 120 days. Do you approve this? He did not make a decision. He ghosted him. Yes. Later in the day on Friday, November 15th,
2: the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals officially blocked Rodney's execution. Granting him an indefinite stay of execution, the ruling preempts any need for Governor Abbott to act. The Court of Appeals sent the case back to the Bastrop County Trial Court to review the evidence and legal claims made by Rodney's attorneys in his petition for a writ of habeas. For now, pending further development, Rodney Reed is no longer scheduled for execution.
1: Someone asked a very interesting question, and that was, you know, the governor can grant reprieve and keep an execution from happening. Could they then reinstate it if the Court of Criminal Appeals uh, gives them an indefinite stay? And the answer is no, he does not have that power. Only the court has the power to the jury has the power of sentencing. And then the court and the Board of parole and Pardons has the ability to, you know, enact that sentence. But the governor doesn't have the authority to say no 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 it's back on so
2: had the texas court of criminal appeals not come in and and blocked it at what point does governor abbott have to say something
1: 559 p.m on november 20th i mean he does so he has until then to say either yay or nay i think he didn't have to vote i mean i don't think he has like a time limit
2: but at some point, he has
1: he to like chime He's like a fucking in. coward because he hasn't said anything. He hasn't said one thing. He didn't even say, well, I'm reviewing the evidence and we'll take a look. If he has, please send it to me because I Googled every possible combination of like Greg Abbott comment. Greg, up until the, the November 15th. I mean, I was re- every article you read would be like, when reached for comment, his office said nothing. I mean, people were protesting in the streets. There was zip, zilch, nothing. I could not find him saying a damn thing about it. Do you think
2: he intentionally... Said nothing because he knew he was like the when Texas court Scott of criminal appeals was going
1: to come in, and then he wouldn't have to say anything. I think he was hoping that that would happen, so he wouldn't have to make a decision one one way or the other. It's like when Michael hides in the office because he has, doesn't want to choose a health plan. Yeah, and he's just like, and he has hoping as Dwight do it, and he hopes everyone leaves, and then he opens the door, and he's like, ah, shit, yeah, they're all still here. I mean, he just hid. He hid the whole entire time. He's got to say something.
2: I imagine at some point his people are going to say. Uh, Greggy boy, you're going to have to make a statement about this. It's a
1: fucking spineless bullshit thing to do is not come out and say I think that I respect even if you come out and say I respect the jury's decision and I'm not going to get in the way of justice. That's fine. That's shitty. You're going to let somebody die for some reason. You're ignoring a truckload of evidence. But at least you said something. Yeah. But it's just like I said, please if you're listening in prior to November 15th, which would have been Friday, when the decision came out If you've seen any comment from Greg Abbott Send it to me If it's been pa- past that I don't care Because now he's off the hook And whatever he says is in his self-service It wasn't yeah. to do the right thing So I don't care what he said since yeah, November 15th A little, but too, little too late For sure But if you could find anything before about noon On Friday, November 15th Please send it to me Because it does not exist Take to the internet, everyone Well, So what do we think? I don't think that you, because it has there hasn't been a trial. I don't think you conclusively can say that Jimmy Finnell did it because it, it hasn't been tried. However, you could say that there is a substantial amount of evidence that points to potential involvement. Possibly, we don't know. We would have to wait till a trial. I think you can say that this evidence points to at least there's a reasonable doubt for Rodney Reed at minimum, and that's the goal. And then whether or not the current DA and Bastrop takes this case up and says, okay, well, she still needs justice. Let's go and now look at this evidence that we do have and see if, but at this point, it may be so deteriorated and they can't pin it on somebody else. So at this
2: point, everything's been sent back to the Bastrop trial court. That's, yeah. That's and nice they step. will relook at everything and decide if they want to
1: pursue another suspect. Well, and they'll they'll decide if they he gets a new trial and based on this amount of evidence, and then which I think would be the next step that Rodney would either either get a new trial or the d a would say, "Oh, there's so much evidence here that he didn't do it. I don't know i and think- they just wouldn't drop they wouldn't pursue it, and oh, he'd be let go, possibly possibly, but then you have the problem of Texas has a sticky situation with wrongful convictions where You can have your your sentence vacated so you don't have to serve time and you can even have the charges removed from your record. But in order to recover under Texas's reasonably generous uh, compensation program for the wrongly convicted, you have to have a finding of actual innocence. So then you basically have to have a trial court say, not only do we think that you didn't do this we we think that you're actually fully innocent. It's not that we can't convict you based on the evidence we have. It's that we, based on the evidence we have, we can conclusively say you didn't do this and you're actually innocent. And then when you have that piece of paper in hand, then you go to the state of Texas and say, I would like my money, please. And it's, I think... $80,000 $80, a year for every year you were in and then $80,000 a year annuity going forward. So that's good. You get some compensation for what's happened to you. And I don't think yeah, but your life has been taken from you and your name's been dragged through the mud yeah. and your family's been tortured. and You didn't get to see your kids grow up. It's not worth, you know, a lump sum yeah, payment, right? Billions wouldn't make that worth it. No. And so there's there's a lot of hurdles for him. You know, for now, I think the bare minimum number one thing they wanted was Stop the execution on this date, Mm -hmm. which they've accomplished, which is great. The next thing will be, do we have uh, the ability to either get a new trial or can we just not pursue the charges because the evidence sort of shows that he didn't wasn't involved? And then beyond that, you know, if he gets retried and then, you know, God forbid, re- who knows? Maybe the prosecutor has more evidence or something and he does get convicted. So then it's just a long road. But I yeah. think I think the smart thing for them to do would be to drop it because you can see based on you think the, ex- the state should drop. it. I think the state should drop it fully. I mean, just there's, there's so much evidence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That he was
2: not involved. So if they drop it, it's up to them if they want to bring charges against someone else. Correct
1: interesting so and then you never know does does the police department now like the cold case detectives say okay well we got to go back to look at jimmy and do they say man you know we worked with him he was a nice guy We really hate to go after him maybe we just drop this all together you know and then she doesn't see justice at all or hopefully they say you know what the law is the law if you did this we have the evidence we're going to fully investigate you and maybe she gets justice finally well i certainly hope she does i do too
2: well let us know what you guys think we'll keep you updated as things are still developing in this in this case he still has a road ahead of him yeah yeah but imminent this was a big hurdle yeah and they and they accomplished it so definitely the imminent threat has been lifted temporarily and hopefully justice will be served
1: Well, we have a live show this Saturday coming up, November twenty third at seven p.m. at Dallas Comedy House in Deep Ellum. We're performing with the Cult. Come on out, see us, see other great comedy that's there. Hang out with us on the patio; it's gorgeous. And the uh, Christmas
2: decorations are up, yes, and it looks
1: quite nice. Lovely trees everywhere. It's very cozy. Get you a spiked hot chocolate, which is mm. a perennial favorite. I forgot. It's like you know you the year goes by and you forget that's like one of my favorite part about the, the Christmas holiday season is the spike top spike chocolate, top chocolate. Uh-huh.
2: I have been on a pumpkin spice latte kick lately what I need to stop drinking so many
1: there are 10 million calories <laughs> so but you know what calories. the month of October I probably had maybe four a week like a lot like so many I had one today I had one yesterday but
2: until uh, once, and the, the Christmas ones are already out, but I'm like, I'm going to milk the pumpkin spice latte until, until... Thanksgiving. <laughs> and then December 1st, I'm switching over to peppermint.
1: I'm addicted to the pumpkin cream cold brew. I'm addicted. See,
2: I like um latte. Cold brew, is that
1: cold coffee? Yes. Or is it, so it's... So they do a cold coffee, but it's been brewed a special way, so it's got like a nuttier flavor. Okay. And then they take... The cream There like, was a
2: girl At Starbucks today That was getting it A lot of people were. They
1: take heavy cream And then they take The pumpkin sauce And they blend it And so it's like This creamy foamy stuff And they float it on top Yeah So then with every sip You get this The foam And then the shot Of the coffee behind it Oh man it's good
2: I don't like cold coffee That much
1: Oh then you wouldn't like it
2: I mean I do But I always I also thought Isn't cold brew Like stronger yeah, Than a latte Yeah like I said
1: It tastes nuttier It tastes a lot it, I don't think it's more caffeine Than a latte Okay Because latte Has espresso in it Although mm-hmm. I don't know
2: well, regardless,
1: shout out to Starbucks. I bought some pumpkin gluten-free pumpkin pancake mix today that Ooh, I'm excited that to try. Yeah, that sounds very, very good. and it can also be used in a waffle iron, which my Snoopy-shaped waffle iron. Very mm. love that. Love you, I have buddy. a Snoopy uh, snow cone machine. Oh, very. We need to have a Snoopy <laughs> snack party. <laughs> we should Snoopy snack party. <laughs> Well, Sinisterhood will
2: always remain free, but if you wish to donate to our Patreon to help offset the cost of making and hosting the show, you can visit Sinisterhood.com and click on Patreon in the top right corner. You'll get some sweet perks like Patreon-exclusive content, a Sinisterhood sticker, membership to our exclusive Patreon Facebook group, a special shout-out on the show, and a monthly bonus
1: mini-sode. Make sure you stick around after our sign-offs to hear your shout-out. We have also now brought our love of improv to our Patreons with on-air improvised scenes based on your Patreon suggestions and fun discoveries we've made in past episodes. So be sure to join Patreon and check those out. So many of you have been tagging us in pictures of you sporting your sweet Sinisterhood merch. Keep those pictures coming. If you want to get some cool Sinisterhood swag like t-shirts, mugs, totes, and even clothes for your kiddos, visit Sinisterhood.com and click on shop in the top right corner.
2: What a nice Christmas, Hanukkah,
1: Kwanzaa gift. Any kind of gift. Festivus. Festivus is for the rest of us. I got a big ass Festivus pole I'm going to put in my friend. Love I saw Can't a lady in San fr- uh, in San Antonio got in trouble for putting her uh, snowman in her yard too soon, her HOA, so oh. that it was a violation. Do of- you have an
2: HOA? No. We don't have one either. No.
1: And so they said, yeah, the neighbors were... Uh, in standing in unison, so then they all started putting up Christmas decorations early too. So I'm thinking, if I put my Festivus pull up, my neighbors will.
2: So the na oh, the HOA
1: was trying to get her was mad, and but then the, the neighbors were in solidarity with correct. her. I believe she's pregnant, and she isn't the due. HOA made up of your neighbors. Yeah, it's probably it's probably those Gladys Kravitz bitchy, you know. <laughs> it's, it's my, my Grinch. Be- that's my bewitched reference for the show, but yeah. So I think that it was the the. Controlling kind of mad neighbors mm, that well, good
2: for those neighbors that supported one of their own. Exactly. Well, the best thing you can do to help us grow is like, review, and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. And tell a friend who you think would like us to check us out. It means so much to us and really helps small podcasts
1: like us get more exposure. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sinisterhood Pod and like us on Facebook at Sinisterhood. Christy, where are you at on the computer? I am on Instagram at Christy and Wallace and on Twitter at Christy or GTFO. What about you? Well, on my Instagram today, I was looking at your Instagram to look at Ella at Bucky's. Which Ella had a- her first visit to Bucky's.
2: She was a fangirl. Tommy was like, I'm a fangirl because she was wearing her Bucky's pants, her Bucky's shirt, which is her favorite outfit. It's so cute. And for the past couple of weeks, we'll be like, who's on your
1: shirt? buckies when you gave her the little toy you said who is that and she was like buckies it was the best thing i've seen on the internet i mean, probably months she uh we were there for hours i mean you can spend i'll hours. tell you what did some christmas shopping <laughs> uh Buc-ies
2: several people are getting stuff. some Bucky's christmas presents Got several Everyone, turkey sandwiches. Everyone's getting three bags of nugs. You got so much nugs. I have three bags of Beaver Nuggets. It's so much nugs. Well, I because I texted you, and I was like, "Do you want some?" And then I already bought them. And then you
1: said no. So if you change your mind, oh, thank I you. have a bag of Beaver Good to know. Nuggets. For Maybe you. I will take some. And my family loves them. And if I had Beaver Nuggets them. out at Thanksgiving, oh, I'll be like a hero. So I'll bring them. Thank yeah. you. Please do. I'll say courtesy of Christy. So, uh, if you want to follow me on social media, I'm on Instagram at Heather versus the world, and on twitter at mck versus the world as always the devil rules the airwaves keep it creepy hey everybody thanks so much for subscribing to our patreon to support the show here are your special patreon shout outs valentina harper maggie walsh lisa brooks margaret white jess tom elaine martin alex tanishuk joe jones megan Anuti, christine terry christy anderley and Caitlin Armitage. Thanks again for supporting the show, you guys. We could not do it without you. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Keep it creepy. <laughs> Sinister Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited
2: by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom?
0: Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky.
2: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No
1: purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
0: Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten Lucky?
1: Lucky?